Welcome to the Soren Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Braden, And as always, I'm joined by uh, the pineapple who was from down south, Alan Pena. And today we have a, a very special guest with us today. Um, he's been someone I've been following because he covers my favorite team, the Rockies, very well. He's one of my favorite reporters ever. And that is Drew Creaseman. Drew, why don't you go ahead and say hello? Hey, thank you. No, I appreciate that introduction. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be talking some, some baseball with y'all. And man, I love it. Thanks for the invite. This is awesome. Well, of course. And uh, yeah, we'll just go ahead and get right into it. And the Rockies, you know, I grew up as a fan of the Rockies my entire life. I grew up in Longmont, Firestone, Colorado, just an hour and a half north of Denver. Remember every other summer going to at least a few ball games a year. You know, I was in fifth grade during the World Series run. And, and you know, we had, and as we look at Blake Street Bombers on up throughout the Rocks history, international players have played a big role in who the Rockies are today. And we couldn't think of anyone better than yourself, Drew, to come on and talk about some international Rockies players. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. There, there's a great rich history here, like you said. Um, I've been lucky enough to be able to meet a, a couple of the guys who I, th I think have played massive roles, uh, you know, and that unfortunately, of course, you can't meet them all. Uh, you know, I've, I've been covering the team for the last 10 years or so. And so anyone who's kind of been around during that time, I've been lucky enough uh, to meet anyone before that time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll only have the, the same experience as everyone else that is as a, as a fan of baseball and, and you know, before that as, as a fan of the Rockies. But, man, there are some good ones. Right. And, Alan, why don't we get right into it here? Yeah, like, definitely, like, even though um, I'm not a Rockies fan, but I've appreciated what, like, what they've done. And one of the players that I don't know if you ever had to had the chance to meet and and I'm saying this because I grew up in the border with Mexico and Arizona. And one of them is Vinny Castilla. Like mm. what, uh, if you had the chance to meet him, like what was he like? And, and I would say even, at, even as someone who has watched Mexican baseball, like he's one of the first names that comes up when it comes to great Mexican ball players. So what, what impact like that he had in Colorado, like even coming in with the, like, when they pretty much were pretty new. Yeah. No, that's right. I, I think he's he's really the guy you got to start with, isn't he? Because like you said, he was there at the beginning. He he was a part of that, the Blake Street Bombers, right? One of the first faces of the franchise uh, was a, was a Mexican-born player. And, and I think that that is always kind of run through the bloodline of the franchise. What's great about Vinny is he's one of the few guys from that era who I have met and spoken to on a number of occasions because he's still around the team regularly. He in a kind of ambiguous uh, helping everybody role. He's what he's really there for. And this very much speaks to who Vinny Castilla is as a person is for morale is for, you know, that kind of clubhouse chemistry. He's the guy who walks in the room, says hello to everybody. How you doing? You know, this, that, or the other. I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times. I interviewed him, for example, when, uh, Larry Walker went into the Hall of Fame and we talked about, you know, that kind of era and and him wanting to see uh, a, a Rockies Hall of Fame that he certainly himself would belong in. And I had to tell him, I said, you know, you'd be in that. Right. And he goes, well, you know, for the other guys, for the other guys. I said, Vinny, you're one of those guys. And he has mattered as much, I think, to the franchise as anybody, maybe outside of like Walker and Helton are kind of the two guys who've been the, the pillars of the franchise. But after that, Vinny Castilla is as much uh, one of those guys as anybody, if not more so, because of the role he still plays now. He's been with the team as long as I've been covering them. He's been around 
uh, to talk to anybody. He, he's a great resource for any of the other young players who aren't born in America. He's, um, you know, multilingual, so he can he can help translate and, and be that kind of he's just an ambassador for the entire team. And uh, I love Vinny Castillo. I could go on and on and on. The guy brings just all the right energy. Uh, I loved watching him play, obviously, when I was a kid. But it is one of the more surreal moments. I have to pinch myself every once in a while of being like, man, I just get to hang out with Vinny Castilla sometimes. Like, It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything better. You know, he started, you know, Colorado baseball, you know, baseball as much as you know, we don't want to admit it in Colorado. Denver, is, especially, is a baseball and hockey town. And yeah, Rockies yeah. are an integral part. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he still does to this day. And and I think he's always mattered to the community. And and I think it's something that you know you can see it in uh, the Rockies have always done a, a better job, I think, than a lot of other franchises. Not all of them, obviously, not the Dodgers, for example, <laughs> but. Um, of bringing in the Hispanic crowd and, you know, of, of bringing, of having that part of Denver's community also feel like they're a part of the baseball community of the baseball culture, because they always have been from the very beginning. And that Vinny Castilla is such a just amazing, indelible, undeniable part of the team. Uh, yeah. It, it just sells all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes me cry hearing, hearing what you just said about Vinny because like even though I didn't get to see him in Colorado but I did get to see him play his his last years in playing winter ball in Mexico because it was just mm-hmm. a one hour drive for me but uh it even it even amazes me how not just like he he's still involved in the organization but also like he's still like I've seen clips of him still involved in the game like in mm-hmm. in his own country which I think sometimes we tend to forget, like, they they also want to grow their their game in their home country. So that, to me, like, it just opens my eyes, like, oh, wow, he's still pretty much involved every day. <laughs> and you know what? He can still hit. Uh, there was a – they did, like, a, a Rockies old-timers day. I want to say, God, how many years ago? I'm getting old now. I, I guess the, they did something in 2017 because that was the 10-year anniversary of when they'd gone to the World Series in 07. And then I think they did something the next year or the year after because it was the whatever anniversary of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of the old guys came back and a few people got in it and when they were doing kind of a specialty batting practice thing, right? People were begging Helton and Walker to get in there, but they were like, no, 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 we're not doing And Todd Helton said, absolutely not. I'm not <laughs> taking any swings. Vinny got in there, sprayed some line drives around, and I think he hit one or two over the wall. Like still, I mean, in batting practice, but... I don't know exactly how old the guy is at this point at 40s, 50s, and he's he's still putting them over the wall. Vinny can still swing it. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was part of the Blake Street Bombers, you know, and that, yeah. that in and of itself is more impressive that he still has it. He helped, you know, cement the team in, in MLB with that home run power he has, and he still has got it. That's even more impressive to this day. Yeah, I, re- I remember asking him one time uh, something about – guys trying to learn to hit sliders learn to hit change-ups and he, he said something like i don't know man you struggle with that your whole career but don't throw me a fastball i want to put it in the seats and he just walked off <laughs> it's, like, it's like Vinny, you're the best dude <laughs> just don't throw me a fastball yeah. fair enough <laughs> bad idea oh that's 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 hilarious because yeah he was dangerous with the bat and 
And as we look, he was even a great third baseman defensively, offensively. He he kind of had that five tool aspect. Yeah, and in addition to beginning a, a really interesting tradition of the Rockies having these high profile Latin ball players, he also began a tradition of the Rockies having really good third basemen <laughs> for for a long time. So that's kind of interesting too, right? It's definitely their strongest position throughout the years. You go from like Vinny to guys like Garrett Atkins during that run, obviously Nolan Arenado. And even right now with Ryan McMahon and the way he's kind of emerged defensively at the very least. And so you're like, yeah, they've always had some real talent over there. Third. Right. And you know, it, it all started with, you know, someone who wasn't necessarily from the States, but fell in love with America's pastime. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because a lot of times when we do talk about, and I'm sure you guys know this better than I do, you know, Latin ball players or whatever, a lot of times we're talking about the Dominican or Venezuela. And a lot of times we aren't talking about Mexico. It's, it's actually a little bit rarer. And the Rockies have had two of them with Vinny and Jorge De La Rosa mm-hmm. being actual Mexican-born ball players. Uh, and, and they've done a lot with Team Mexico and and all of that stuff and in international play. And so I think that's really cool, too. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Go ahead, Brayden. Oh. oh, you want me to go? OK, well, yeah, it's just like it's just pretty amazing. I think like where Mexico sometimes gets left off, as you mentioned, Drew, just because like, oh, it's all the Dominicans, the Venezuelans. But like, I think like for me, just being there, like I think really this is where I think Mexico can like, just because of what Vinny did and what Jorge did, it's like, it's a hotbed. Like, you know what? Maybe we should start looking there. Like, maybe we can I'm... tap into that region, which historically, when it's tapped into, they've had success, not just individuals, but also for their teams. Aren't the, I think the Giants and Padres are going to play a series in Mexico yeah, City next year. That right. just got announced, right? Yeah, I think correct. that's going to be great for that region. I think that's only going to, like you said, bring out that talent more and more and maybe a couple of those uh legendary footballers uh come play some baseball instead maybe some <laughs> of the guys who would be you know phenomenal in some other sports come and come and play some baseball so uh, yeah i think it's a hotbed for a lot of untapped talent like you said and i'm glad to see major league baseball trying to reach in there and, and grow the community a bit right and you know there's no better way you know to bring a game to these countries you know they brought one to london recently baseball's not as big there but as we move it down south to latin america and southern south america you know with venezuela we've had great venezuelans here on the rockies with with cargo for a number of years and so it 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 just seems like as we might look south with mlb there's great talent everywhere yeah oh man you mentioned cargo i gotta say it's not super professional to pick favorites, but <laughs> of all of the let it slide <laughs> of of all of the people that I have interviewed over the years, Carlos Gonzalez is hands and away a hundred times over my favorite. He is just one of the kindest, warmest, most honest, uh, most full of joy people that I've ever met in my life. Uh, And he was always so interesting to talk to. One of the things I loved about Carlos Gonzalez is that with most of these guys, and I don't blame them at all, you you ask them a question, they give you the simplest, shortest answer. And most of the time they're trying just not to say anything wrong. And I get it because I would probably be the same way. But Carlos Gonzalez would listen to your question, really take it in 
and do everything he could to honestly answer it. And sometimes you could ask him a question and he'd talk for two or three minutes, really trying to get at what you were asking and what he can do. And I remember once at the very end of his career, he was in a bad slump. Uh, this is like in 2017, 2018, one of the years when the team was good, but he was kind of falling apart. And I remember this huge group of media gathered around him and Carlos Gonzalez said, you know, I know what it feels like to be the best player in the game. And now I know what it feels like to be the worst player in the game. And I know how quickly those things can turn around. And I know that it's bad. But all I can do is believe in myself and believe in my team. And I would just that amount of honesty to say, I know what it feels like to be at the top of this game. And yes, I know right now I'm probably the worst qualified hitter in baseball. But you know what? I'm going to show up to work tomorrow. The skip's going to write my name in the lineup. And I'm going to do what I can to help my team win. And it was so like, that was one of the best post-game scrums I've ever been a part of. He, he, I love Carlos Gonzalez. I'll love that man forever. He's the greatest. I mean, he really was. And, you know, for, for guys like me who, you know, love the game, but, you know, were growing up when he was a major part of the team. Like I remember when he came in with, you know, the trade with Matt holiday and all sorts of different things where when he first came part of that team, the way he became a part of the city and you couldn't go anywhere without seeing that number five Jersey at all. Yeah. And, and the, the swag, man, someone to get excited about. And, you know, and I've mentioned this a couple of times about teams of the Rockies past. A lot of the superstar Rocky players are very, very serious people, very stern. Some of them are even kind of boring. I love Todd Helton. The guy who belongs in the Hall of Fame. The numbers speak for themselves, all that. But he, he's kind of a, you know, real buttoned up, doesn't goof off, right? Doesn't outwardly have a whole lot of fun. Troy Tulowitzki, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story. A lot of these guys were that way. Uh, but Cargo was clearly having fun out there. And he invited us to have fun with him, to have fun watching the game of baseball, to enjoy the swag and the smile and the way he would drop his bat after he hit one that he knew was out and just kind of stand there and watch it for a minute and walk. And it rubs some people the wrong way. And, and we know that that's a, a weird conversation in baseball about, mm-hmm. you know, admiring yeah. your your how much passion do you play with or whatever. But man, Cargo brought the passion that, I, I would like to see out of more Rockies ball players because I think it allows the fans to be able to get into it more too, especially in seasons that we know the Rockies have had a lot of where they don't end up competing for the division or a wild card spot, right? You're, you're not in it, but you had people, Braden did when, when you were watching the team as a kid, you had people like Cargo to root for unabashedly. So yeah, my team might not be very good, but I got that guy and none of you other teams have Cargo. Like that was cool. It, it really was because, you know, he he was the Rockies, you know, him and Helton, favorite players yeah. of mine growing up, you know, they were my idols of who I was trying to be out on the field. And I think, you know, because of where he came from, how he grew up playing the game that he brought it with him here to the States and in Denver, especially. And we see that all the time with these Latin born players, whenever they go to a team and they make that that superstar threshold they they let themselves you know become more of a part of their culture bringing it out 
and they're dancing, they're having all, you can actually tell they're enjoying what they're doing. Whereas some of these, you know, American born players, you know, they take it too seriously, almost like it's their, well, it is, but they take it like they're just another day in the office. Yeah. Like it's like, it's just a job. Right. And, and I have a certain amount of respect for people that go about it that way, but I'm with you. I, I a thousand times over prefer the, the people who are having fun out there. Yeah, I agree. Like even uh, what even amazes me is like even at times we, we always talk about these batters. Uh, but one of the guys that um watching the Rockies and I'm just like, man, this guy, he's just unbelievable. Like I admire his uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. Mm. And just because how he pitched, like what what made him like unique during that time? It, because really I thought, Oh, this guy's gonna win a Cy Young. Like he's he's just one of those unique pitchers that I'm like, you don't see a lot, like his height, but also his mechanics. What made him like who he is and made him endeared to the Rockies for, for quite a while. Yeah. Oh, Ubaldo's a great one. And he he had such like you said, he had such a, a weird and interesting mechanic. He's such a big, lanky guy. Uh, and his not to get too specific about answering your question of what made him who he was, but his hands, he has these enormous hands and his middle finger specifically exceptionally long. And if you remember from those days, Ubaldo's kind of like go to really mess you up pitch was that two seam fastball that could come in at 98, 99 miles an hour, with all kinds of movement, either away from the left-handed hitter or into the right-handed hitter. Right. And he would get all that extra velocity and sink off of that middle finger being just a little extra long. And it is actually fairly common of a lot of pitch. Like um, Araldus Chapman has really big hands, long fingers, right? So he had he definitely had that going for him. And like you mentioned, that weird mechanic where he would kind of drop the baseball behind him. It was a lot of moving parts. And for three or four years there, it just messed up everybody. And he had arm elbows and knees going in all kinds of directions. And then here comes this thing over the top at 99 miles an hour, seven inches of movement. Uh, he had a great mentality of coming right at you too, that would really put fear in the heart uh, of the hitter. Unfortunately, his career really did get derailed once he started developing regular blisters on that exact finger that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what, kind of derailed him as he ended up going to Baltimore or first, I think it was Cleveland and then Baltimore. Right. Um, even though he had some good times there as well, he could never find that consistency again uh, because he could never really get his hand right. It was, it was almost literally right. What they, they called him was it Diego Maradona was the hand of God. Yeah. Right. In the, the, the right. But it was like, now Ubaldo Jimenez had the hand of God. It just unfortunately got worn down over mm -hmm. like four years and and he stopped being what he was able to be but when people should go back and look at his numbers i don't i don't think people understand that even though you know guys like de la rosa who i think is super super underrated guys like aaron cook pitched a lot longer in colorado and and have a lot more innings uh ubaldo jimenez still easily surpasses all of them in like war and strikeouts and like he was so dominant for that period of time it's almost unbelievable. And then when you put in the fact that he was pitching half of his games at Coors Field, we've never seen anything like it before or since. We're still looking for somebody else in a Rockies uniform to pitch that way. He He's probably the only guy in franchise history you could say legitimately was an ace on the big league scale 
for a good four-year period. And he probably should have won that Cy Young Award, by the way. <laughs> he probably should have. I was about to say, I, I, I've listened to one of your pods where you're like, he sh- you were hammering the table going, he should have won that award. And I was like, and you look back at those numbers and he really should have. Arguably, he had the best case for it outside of Kyle Freeland's 2018 year. Yeah, and and Kyle Freeland ran into the juggernaut that was a Jacob deGrom season that was one of the best pitch seasons in history, right? So, But Kyle Freeland still came in fourth, and he should have come in second. So I I can do that all day, but it's hard for me to say Freeland should have won it. It's the same principle that, you know, a lot of people know uh, but don't always think about, which is Rockies hitters are always, 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 always discounted. It took Larry Walker 10 years to get into the Hall of Fame, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's taking Helton way longer. Matt Holliday should have been MVP in 2007. Todd Helton should have been MVP in 2000. But they don't because people go, eh, Coors. All those big, huge offensive numbers are about Coors. And then when a guy pitches his ass off and his numbers are basically in 2010, I believe Ubaldo Jimenez, his numbers are basically the exact same. I think it was Adam Wainwright. And maybe Max Scherzer, God, Mad Max has been doing this a while, but it was, it was definitely Wainwright was in there. And I think that's who won. And the numbers were basically even. So I can see people looking in and go, well, Ubaldo Jimenez didn't really get screwed. Adam Wainwright deserved that award. But it's like, yeah, only if you don't take into account the Coors Field thing and how we detract from all of the hitters. So Ubaldo Jimenez should get some extra credit for pitching half of his games at Coors Field. And if he gets any extra credit at all, he should have been Cy Young in 2010. But unfortunately, the voters don't think about it or see it that way. Uh, it, it's been a, a long time frustration with this franchise is that they have a hard time getting credit for individual players who do well. And, you know, like you mentioned it, Walker from Canada, he makes it in. He's like, if I remember it, the second Canadian to make it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the Rockies have an interesting Canadian history as well with Larry Walker and Jeff Francis, and Justin Morneau. Uh, got some Canadians around, yeah. Uh, it, it's fascinating uh, as we look at all these players, just how much they've had a role in Denver. I mean, we had Castilla, Bichette, and Walker as all part of the Blake Street Bombers, and that's what really set Colorado off. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually, there are probably fewer American-born players who would maybe exist in the Rockies, I don't know, top 20, if you were to rank them by war or whatever, it might be half and half American and international, or or the internationals might even have a, a slight edge there, I would think. Because, yeah, like the pitchers, it's going to be Jorge Ubaldo, maybe Aaron Cook gets in there. So that kind of two-to-one ratio, you know, that'll be interesting. I'd, I'm going to have to look through that sometimes, see if I can figure that out. <laughs> it, it would be interesting uh, <laughs> as we look at right now. I mean, we have... You know, another great arguably could become the next big time Rockies ace with Herman Marquez. And he's right. fascinating to watch. Yeah. Marquez has easily been their best pitcher of the last four or five years. He's having a bad season right now. <laughs> so it's that's been brutal, but he's a legitimate all-star a year ago. He probably had another season in his career where he should have been an all-star, but again, Rockies stuff. Um, yeah, Herman Marquez has been absolutely fantastic the last couple of years and then there's, there are guys that you forget about like uh you know two of their best relief pitchers of all time are brian fuentes and rafael betancourt uh you know I, I don't know if brian fuentes is actually international or if he if his parents were uh betancourt definitely though mm-hmm. um so yeah that's that's yeah that's really fascinating i'm gonna have to look up their like top just war 
I think baseball reference will only let me break it down. I can do top 10 hitters and top 10 pitchers. I'd just be curious. Yeah, it's kind of like you want to dive deep. Like there's there's more into what, like if we combine all, all the legends, current and today, it would just be like, hmm, what can we, it's like mix and match, like kind of like in a buffet, like, what do I, what right. do I want? What, what, how should we rank them enough? But it's pretty interesting just um, looking at the, looking at the facts, looking at uh, what, what makes like Rockies baseball, like unique, different than probably the, the traditional powerhouses that, that you see every day in baseball. Yeah, it's a weird and interesting dynamic out here, right? There hasn't been a lot of team success. Uh, there have been a lot of great individual players who, who've had some some really nice eras out here. Uh, there is a weird sort of mentality of like, well, all the hitters are kind of products of Coors Field and they've never really had any good pitchers. But when you really start diving into it, you see they've had some phenomenal ball players uh, through here uh, throughout the years. So, yeah. It, it is a weird dynamic, though, and I get why people who aren't from here just kind of toss, throw their hands up and go, I don't know. I don't get what you guys are doing out there. <laughs> it's too weird for me to understand, you know. It really is. We talk about that Coors Field effect all the time, but when you look at it, it almost seems like some of these international-born players, they don't deal with that as much. Like, you know, we talk about Cargo, Ubaldo Jimenez. Jorge De La Rosa, Castilla, they didn't really seem to have that lasting Coors Field effect that a lot of these, you know, writers and players want to discount to Rockies players. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I think there's something to that, and, I, and I'm not sure exactly what it was. Just as I bring up the list, another one uh, that, of course, we should mention as we're talking bombers is Andres Galarraga, mm -hmm. right? So in their top 10 players, you've got Galarraga, Castilla, Cargo, um few few others but um yeah I, and i even look now at like some of the young guys who are uh coming up through the system at montero for example who has had I, I think a more natural transition into the big league level than some of the more american born ball players who who seem to struggle with that course field dynamic at the very least when they first come up or sometimes it's not even when guys get drafted. Like I could give you a long list of players who've had very quality careers elsewhere. Marco Scudero, Ian Desmond, Daniel Murphy. And then the team picks them up and you think, well, those guys should be able to hit at course, right? They're good hitters. You put them in a hitting environment. They should be able to do it, but they, they struggle with the dynamic and the going back and forth and all of that. So that would be curious to, to do a study and see if there's something about some of the international players having less of a reaction to the dramatic changes in environment. You almost wonder if it's because, you know, they're, they probably deal with it just the same, but I think maybe it has a lot to do with their mentality of, you know, when they get drafted, they might, they don't speak English very well. They have to fight day in and day out right. just to, yeah. you know, earn their spot. And so they're, it's that, you know, underdog fighting mentality that they have more. So maybe I wouldn't know. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that that all makes sense to me. And and even some of, I think, honestly, what we were talking about before in terms of the mental approach to the game, you know, the that and especially as we know more with like Latin ball players, there is more of a embrace the fun 
it's kind of like the quote I was talking about with cargo earlier. They're like, yeah, I know I'm terrible, but I'm showing up to work tomorrow or whatever. Right. I think there is a mentality of like baseball is fun. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be played with passion. It maybe helps you get over a bad slump or a bad streak that, that can be created by Coors Field. A lot of the, the mental ability to get over it by saying, ah, to hell with what happened yesterday. I'm focused on what's going on today or tomorrow. Uh, very much a mental thing. And so I would think a lot of it would just come from a different mental approach to the game. It very well could. And, you know, another country that's played a big role in MLB is Japan. But as far as my recollection, we've had maybe one or two Japanese players on the Rockies in, in their short 20 plus year history. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not as many. And uh, that's too bad because uh, I would be very curious to see that as well. Uh, and not only because I'm a huge mark for Ichiro, who I think is the greatest peer hitter of all time. And I will, I will debate yeah. anybody on that. Uh, I'm a huge Ichiro fan, but yeah, that that's another interesting, curious one, probably because a lot of those guys were pitchers and they were very expensive. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Considering Japan is a hotbed yeah. as well which is like good luck trying to trying to get one at least <laughs> right i'd love so, to see what shohei could do in a rockies uniform <laughs> oh, i mean yeah right <laughs> everyone would love to see what that guy would do in their uniform but all true uh, i just brought up uh, by the way the the top 10 rockies pitchers and yeah it's jimenez chassin uh, you know, Kyle Freeland, Jorge De La Rosa, Armen Marquez, and Armando Reynoso, Pedro Estacio. Those guys never get enough credit for back in the day. So when it comes to their pitching, the Rockies have been, in terms of the guys that have been really good, more international players than than American-born ones. You know, Kyle Freeland, Aaron Cook, John Gray. Uh, those are the the the, the counter examples, right? But that one's really interesting. Yeah, I'm going to have to do more research on this. You guys got got me thinking about some stuff. This is cool. <laughs> well, that's what we love to do. All right. So I guess, you know, we're transitioning into the future of the Rockies with these international players, as well as, you know, the players that are already making an impact on the team. And, you know, of course, the first thought is Herman Marquez, who we've already talked about a little bit, but he's always... Right there on the forefront with the best best pitching staff we've already we've seen in Colorado history for a while. Yeah, uh, and and since we have mentioned Marquez a little bit, let's make sure to add Antonio Sensatella uh, to that conversation. He's you know obviously not been the kind of borderline star that Marquez has, but they came up right around the same time. Uh, they've both been very positive influences uh, on the team during their time. They were both a huge part of the reason why the Rockies went to back-to-back postseasons in 17 and 18. People tend to think about those teams as the teams of Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman and Trevor Story, but look at the roster. Those guys had been on the team before, and the team wasn't good with them. You got to pitch in Major League Baseball. You, you can't go anywhere without pitching, and it wasn't until Marquez, Sensatella, and also Kyle Freeland and John Gray came along that the team got good for a couple of years. And, and it's been with the decline of those players, unfortunately, right now that the team is kind of stuck in mediocrity. Marquez, I think, was the most important person, the single most important player to that two-year run, more than Nolan Arenado or Trevor Story or Charlie Blackman, because uh, those guys don't pitch. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, yeah. the, it, so much of the game begins and ends up there on that mound. And he was so good during that time. A guy who 
has flirted with a, a couple of no hitters, um, uh, you know, on the road. He almost no hit the Giants in San Francisco. He almost threw a no hitter last year at Coors Field. And, and of course, that would have been the only the second time in Coors Field history that's happened. You got to go all the way back to Hideo Nomo from when I, I was a kid. From, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's before your time, right? That's, that's a my time as a child. <laughs> so, yeah, Marquez has never gotten enough credit, in my opinion, for how good he's been in his time here. Sensatella, to a lesser extent, but the same kind of thing. And and I think those guys have both done a really good job because both of them debuted very young, like 21, 22, hardly spoke the language, you know, still a lot of culture shock going on. Um, Sensatella had just lost his mother uh, of cancer not long before that. And, and if you remember as a rookie, like his second or third start was on Mother's Day, just, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think Sensatella and Marquez really should be held up more as, as a kind of core tenant of this current Rockies team. No, I definitely agree with yeah. you. And I remember watching those, that mother's day game and you could tell it was a little hard for him, but he, he did amazingly well that game. Yeah. And do you wonder if part of their decline currently is just a change in pitching philosophy and if they can make, come back onto a, a positive track? Yeah. I've, I've wondered about the coaching a lot throughout the year because the career numbers just suggest that they're there and look these guys aren't mentally weak I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about Antonio Sensatella you know in, in 2018 when the Rockies went to the NLDS uh, against the Milwaukee Brewers and uh, Sensatella pitched in I think the second game in, in game two and you know his first time in the postseason he, I think he was 23 years old he'd only been you know it was his second year with the club um the first year had been up and down and up and down, and he wasn't sure if he was going to be in the rotation at the end of the year. But there he was, and he was pitching well at the time, and he earned his spot. And he pitched mostly well. I couldn't give you the exact stats off. I think it was five innings, one run. I know he gave up a home run to Christian Yelich, who, if you remember, was the MVP that year. But that was it. Sensatella gives up the one home run to, to Christian Yelich. The Rockies don't win the game, but he pitched very, very admirably for his first time in the postseason. We're after the game, all the media is around him. And Sensatella does 95% of his interviews through a translator. And he did with more media than he's ever seen in his life. Trust me, I've been there every time. And now I'm there in Milwaukee. And instead of there being 10 to 15 of us around him asking questions, there's 60 people around his locker, all the cameras, all the lights, all the microphones. And he did the entire thing in English. And he didn't have to, but he'd been working on it. And I was like, dude, you just pitched your first postseason game. You just went out there and battled. And the only thing you gave up was an oppo jack to the hottest hitter in baseball right now. You should be so proud of how you performed in this moment and nobody would have held anything against you for speaking your native tongue and doing your interviews how you do but in that moment that he chose to try to speak to the audience and and like test even that he was just like testing out his english you know he's just been working on it but to do it in that moment i was like this guy's not afraid say what you want to about antonio sensatella do a poll of Americans and ask what's the number one thing you're afraid of public speaking comes out number one on that list every time how about public speaking in a language that is not your native tongue yeah and and 
and not just in front of a crowd of people, but in front of a huge crowd of people right in front of you, broadcasting to millions. Antonio Sensatella is not afraid. So bring that man back, get him some better pitching coaches, get him, get him a little bit of development, get him. I, I, that's the type of mentality that allows you to be successful in a place like Coors Field that's going to chew you up and spit you out if you let it. Like that's the guy. My dad used to have this phrase. He used to say, uh, I want that guy on my team, right? Sensatella, that's a guy you want on your team. I mean, and he really is. And in that 2018 postseason run, it seemed he, he and Marquez were the only two really that had much postseason success. And it almost seems like that's a, almost a true factor for the Rockies is, you know, their international stars in their postseason runs step up when we need them to the most. Oh, man, the, the biggest step up. I know we're talking modern times, but you just said that the biggest step up artist in the history of the Colorado Rockies is Manny Corpus. When, when, when Manuel Corpus became the closer of that team, when Brian Fuentes was kind of struggling in 2007 and Corpus took over and put up absolutely absurd numbers for not just the rest of that season, but throughout the postseason, he had a sub one ERA in the postseason. <laughs> Manny Corpus, he might be one of the most underrated Rockies of all time because it was mostly just that one year. But, you know, that was the one year the Rockies went to the World Series. So we should count it for something. <laughs> yeah. Um, that Manny Corpus took that job as basically a rookie and became the most dominant closer in baseball for over half a season and then into the postseason to the extent that the Phillies were like accusing him of cheating when he was pouring water on himself because it was hot. Uh, look at Manny Corpus's 2007 number sometimes if you if you just really want to pop your eyes out of your sockets. Like, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, you're right. When when that those big moments happen, there are a lot of times in Rockies history where the international ball player has stepped up and just said, I got this. Give me the ball. Right. And yeah, it, it, it's just fascinating to see. And, you know, as we talk about today, you know, on the team as it stands, when we think about these international players, who else is standing out aside from, you know, the – Senzatella and Marquez, who arguably are probably the best two to, to pick right now. Yeah, you know, Kyle Freeland's been in a bit of a, a, a rough spot lately. You know, obviously he's had his ups and downs. I still, I think he's going to be better in the future. And I think he's someone you can still continue to build around as well. But yeah, you know, uh, even coming up through the minors, the now they had Michael Tolia just debut and he's really fun and exciting and interesting. And I'm curious about him for the future at first base. But the two guys who are the, the, bigger prospects who are going to be the ones on the team right now. That's Tyler Harris Montero. I mentioned him earlier. He's absolutely extraordinary to watch. He's one of the guys that came back in the Nolan Arenado deal. Uh, And so I think Montero and then starting as soon as next year, Ezekiel Tovar, everyone remember this name. This guy is destroying minor league baseball. He came up as like a defensive wizard, shortstop, super athlete, mm-hmm. which there are a bunch of those in the minors, right? A lot of a lot of Latin-born ball players play the hell out of some shortstop, great athletes, and yeah. don't always necessarily figure out how to hit. It appears as though Ezekiel Tovar has figured out how to hit. He's been raking. Uh, Rocky's got him now in AAA, been in AA for most of the year. He's almost certainly going to be their starting shortstop next year. So, again, these are going to be the guys carrying the team with Montero, Tovar, Marquez, and Senzatella will still be around. Um, 
you know, hopefully they're going to get Chris Bryant back and that'll be <laughs> not an international player. They're definitely going to need him too. <laughs> That's why they signed yeah. him, right? Yeah. yeah surprisingly, <laughs> but they did. <laughs> they did. They did. And, and, you know, he's been hurt all year and, and I'm one of those guys that goes, ah, you gotta, for at least one year, you can give him a pass. But, uh, yeah, they, they're, you're absolutely right. I, I think there's always been, like we said, there's never been a time in Rockies history where there weren't at least four or five international ball players who weren't just on the team, but were important parts of the core. Yeah, it, it even shows to me, like, like to me, like I always look at the scouts, like, okay, they probably see something that as an average fan or even as if I'm even if I were owning the team, probably we don't even see. And I think that's where if and correct me if I'm wrong, that's where they're like, let let's think outside the box with these guys. Let's like we they, if they want to talk stadium all they want, go ahead. But they're if they're not faced by it, like let's send them out there. And I think that's where sometimes we we totally forget about that. Like like we've had scouts have been doing this for hundreds of years even before we were born so probably that's the biggest thing it's like you know what let's i don't care where they come from but let's put them in our core let's let them become the leaders and obviously we've mentioned from i mentioned from the beginning with vini and then on to like now to tovar like who we'll see him next year i've seen some of his stuff mm-hmm. and like that's that's the beauty of like not just rocky space but i would even say like the beauty of baseball overall yeah no a hundred percent and and you know you you need those guys i know we're talking about him earlier and he gets plenty of ink or whatever but when people talk about what's the biggest reason why the rockies have totally fallen apart in the last couple of years right when they had that run where they were pretty good and and there are a lot of reasons why that is and the biggest one probably is the gm alienating nolan arenado and then trading him but i think all of it started before that when Carlos Gonzalez, and actually let's introduce a new name that never got enough credit while he was here into the conversation. Gerardo Parra. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those were the guys that held that team together. Those were the guys that made sure when times were bad, they didn't stay bad. And when times were good, they could stay good a little longer. They were the guys who kept the atmosphere light, who led the team in, who led the team. Who, who were important core leaders. And when those guys were gone, the team started to fall apart. And they didn't have, as much as they had great ball players, they still had Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman. You know, they still had these guys, but they didn't have, Cargo was the guy they could point to. When Nolan or Charlie was in a bad mood and there was a bad loss and they didn't want to answer questions, you know who all of us in the media would go to? Carlos Gonzalez we go to Papa and he would answer all the questions you know what I mean like he would he would do that and when they didn't have those guys around anymore I really think the clubhouse started to splinter there started to be internal fights it started to get really ugly in there and then all a bunch of other things that happened that that really tore tore them apart but I've always pointed to the lack of fun in the clubhouse when in one offseason both para and cargo were gone and para was the king he would ride you know those little scooters he would ride his little scooter into the clubhouse blaring music off the top of it honking a little horn 
yelling at people, yelling at the media, not yelling at, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you know, you know exactly the kind of, Hey, how's everybody going? what do you do last night? What do you, you know, what are you eating there? What do you got? You know, he's just I, happy to see everybody. I loved Hararo Para, man. I miss that guy. And it did when, when they left the, the Rockies clubhouse hasn't been the same since. And, you know, I, yeah, I think that says something. Yeah, leadership one on one, right there, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably could have used some baby shark in there, probably. Right, guy left, baby shark won a World Series, and you look at Gerardo Parra's numbers with the Nationals, and people go, hey, "He was okay." Yeah, dude, that's not look. <laughs> you can't measure everyone by their batting average, and Parra could hit, and he could hit on the road, and he was a great defender and all that stuff. But for people that didn't see it. I totally got why Washington fell in love with him. And people on the outside were going, this guy's hitting like 220. Like, yeah. But he's hitting a thousand percent in our hearts. (laughs) (laughs) A thousand in here, buddy. Love Para. He he and Cargo for those two runs, I think, like you mentioned, that made that clubhouse very light once they were gone. You know, you mentioned it on a few of your pods back when you were with DMVR. Nolan's, you know, wanting to get it all done, you know, that Nathan McKinnon go get him attitude really kind of tanked that clubhouse culture. And I don't know if it's recovered yet or if it's not, or if it will. And yeah, you know, to get into this just a little bit, I do think it's been better this year. Uh, I think guys like uh, CJ Crone has done a really nice job uh, being a, a light, lighter clubhouse guy and a leader and stuff. Guys like Ryan McMahon and Kyle Freeland getting some deals and being able to, to feel like they're more in a leadership role. So I do think that there's a lack of tension where for several years there was just constant tension. At least this year, no tension. Everyone seems to be getting along and all that. But I couldn't tell you, as someone who spends a decent amount of time in this clubhouse, I couldn't really tell you who, again, I called Cargo Papa a minute ago, right? Who, who's Papa? Who, who's who's the big dog who we all go and say, all right, we, we need a couple of answers, but then he can also turn to the rest of the club and say, ah, forget about those media people. Let's go out and have fun today, right? And I'm not sure that they do have that and they need it. Every team needs it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why the Dodgers, who have been the most talented team in baseball for eight years in a row, every year they come into the season with the most talent on paper. They've won one World Series in that time, and it was weird during a dinky season that none of us count, right? Why? Because it's not always just about having the most talented team. They oftentimes have not had, and you know, their best players have been guys who aren't leaders, and you know, they don't have that 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 person to say, "Hey, let's relax a little bit." I think one of the most difficult things in baseball is that you have to be simultaneously incredibly focused. And totally relaxed. And that's where a guy like Cargo comes in. Or Para or, or whoever. And the Rockies don't have that guy right now. Right. And I guess that then the question becomes, do we have that guy in the system that can, or even currently, if, you know, things change, things get going, they can step up and kind of be like, okay, boys, let's, let's relax a little bit. Yeah. You know, that, that'll. It'll be interesting because that's where I want to see if like Montero and Tovar, like, I don't think they're going to be like the leader leaders, you know, but they will be the fun 
I was about to say the fun police, but that's the opposite. It's <laughs> <laughs> the, the people who are enforcing fun, enforcing fun. <laughs> demanding fun, right? Montero can't help it. I don't know how much you guys have seen him play yet. And I talked to Kyle Freeland about him the other day. He says he's really quiet in the clubhouse right now. And he should be. He's a rookie. He should keep his mouth shut and listen and do all that. But when Montero hits one really hard, you can see that he really enjoys it, as he should. Uh, he can't fight his smile back. And uh, I haven't seen much of Tovar's personality, so I, I don't know on that. But Montero's got personality. They need that. It's okay if – and Ryan McMahon's got personality too, and he's a great leader. And 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 I think that works well for them. But they, they absolutely need those guys – to bring some personality, to bring some flash, to bring some suave, some swag. Like they don't, who on the Rockies has swag right now? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Jose Iglesias a little bit. Yeah. Maybe him or, you know, Edwin Diaz or, you know, <laughs> right. maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. So it's like, yeah, they, they need these young guys to come up, give them some energy Energy is tough too. It's one of those things we don't talk about enough in baseball is like you can break down game by game, individual performances, but baseball is a marathon. It's a long distance race. And when you run out of energy as an individual or as a team, that's going to cost you in the long distance run. And so having these guys who can provide that boost of energy is massive. So again, I, I I totally agree with you. I hope it's it's those couple of guys. And if it's not, then Rockies need to go out and sign some free agents or something. Oh, could we possibly find them in the minor leagues? You never know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways. Again, remember um, you know, Rafael Betancourt. I mentioned him earlier. He was he was a trade. He came over, he integrated himself into the community, became a leader right away, became one of those guys who injects energy and everybody loved him and could be a, an ambassador for everybody on the team and was also a pretty good pitcher for, for, for a long time. So you're like, yeah, do that. Like you can go and find those guys. They don't have to be young guys. They can be veterans. They can, they can be young guys, but you do need that on your team and focusing too much on the, you know, wins above replacement and things like that. I, I think you can miss that. Yeah. Baseball teams are basically families that have to live together for six months of the year every single day and you know when you get sick and tired of seeing that guy's locker right across from you that makes it hard to play baseball or whatever you know they gotta they gotta enjoy each other and then there's that balance of maybe that guy just needs an off day or two and he's right back at it and you got it's it's a ficky balance that everyone yeah. has to find yeah, uh, and and that's one of those things I, I hear sometimes the old timers complain. Oh, guys take too many days off, or the pitchers don't throw enough pitches anymore. And it's like it's not about that they can't; it's about that they shouldn't. It, it's about you're going to get your best production out of the guy if you do give him a couple of days off. But you don't want to just concede those games, right? So you need depth. Depth is really important in Major League Baseball, and it's one of the things I love about this sport. Is you know you look at like game-winning shots in the NBA Finals. It's a lot of Kobe and LeBron and Michael Jordan. You put the ball in the hands of your best player. You know, the big game-winning play in the NFL, the quarterback made a play and or the receiver or running back made a play. But in baseball, the game-winning World Series hit might be Christian Cologne. That's a real one. That's a real player who's got like six career hits. But one of them won a world series for the Kansas city Royals. You don't get to decide who's at bat. 
you know, it's if it's Tony Wolters has the most important hit in the last 10 years of the Colorado Rockies. He was the worst qualified hitter in baseball that year. He's hitting a buck 85. But it was the most important hit of the last 10 years. That's why I love this sport, man, because you, you can't just put the ball in the hands of your best player. You can't always rely on the superstars. Sometimes it's the worst guy on your roster who has to win you a baseball game. And I love that. Speaking of that Tony Walters hit, I was working in a retail store that night, closing up shop, listening to the game's final few innings on my phone as you know, I best I could. He hits. I haven't even locked the door yet, and here I am celebrating, and everyone's coming running in thinking something's actually wrong happening in the <laughs> door. <laughs> but I'm sitting there going, we just made it to the divisional series. <laughs> what happened? Did someone break in? Like... <laughs> amazing yeah <laughs> what a what a time to be alive <laughs> rockies yeah. are going in the playoffs <laughs> uh, and, it, and as we look to the future even more so you know we've mentioned montero and tofar you know we just maybe we just the main thing is the pitching always just needs to stay consistent that's always been colorado's problem for as long as i can remember my dad loves to say it all the time you know he's like the pitch will have a, one good year and then the next, you know, 50 or 15, they're not as good anymore. Yeah. It's, it's one of the toughest jobs in sports pitching in Colorado. Like it's just, there's no easy answer. If there was someone would have figured it out by now. Uh, we were talking earlier about you've all the Jimenez, you know, and about how it, it was freakish. It didn't even feel real. And looking back on it now, it feels less real because no one's even come close to replicating it. Right. Guys like Armen Marquez, who have stuff that's maybe just as good. Guys like Kyle Freeland, who have the mentality and the pitchability that's just as good. But it's, yeah, it, it is a very, very difficult thing to do. I've asked myself, I wrote something for Mile High Sports recently where I ran through like just all the all stars from this year. And uh, because I knew that Clayton Kershaw has terrible numbers at Coors Field. And I was curious about these other guys. None of them have good numbers at Coors Field. And I honestly don't know the answer to it. And when I talk to most people about this, they say, yeah, but if Clayton Kershaw pitched his whole career at Coors Field, he would have figured it out and he'd still be a Hall of Fame pitcher. And I just want to say, you don't know that for sure. That's the one thing, you know, I, I keep, I'm sure there are some guys who would be, but we don't know. We have no way of knowing, like I suspect Max Scherzer wouldn't bother him and he'd still have great numbers, but I can't know that. And I wonder about how many guys have come through here over the years, you know, see what Tyler Anderson is doing now with the Dodgers. And it's like, this place really messed him up for a while. And he was also hurt, but now that he's healthy and doesn't have to deal with this dynamic, he's a much better pitcher and it happens with a lot of guys. So it is tough. You need the right mentality and mix of stuff. You know, I, I think they do have to go the homegrown route too. You're never going to get free agents to sign for a fair price. So that puts them in a, in a tough spot there in terms of getting pitching as well. But I do think it's possible, you know, it's it just, it's gotta be draft and develop or, or finding those guys who are, you know, diamonds in the rough, like Jorge De La Rosa was, and, you know, just given up on at like age 27, by I think Baltimore or whatever, and they just picked him up and he's the second best pitcher in Rockies history comfortably. So you got to be able to find the, and, and again, if ever there was an example of what you could try to replicate, because I don't think you can replicate Ubaldo Jimenez. That was just, that's, again, uh, hand of God. 
But Jorge De La Rosa, that's what you should be trying to replicate as a Rockies organization. Someone whose raw ERA never looked phenomenal and people on the outside looking in are going to go, he's fine. But when you dig into De La Rosa's numbers, you know that guy won 73% of his starts at Coors Field? That's I didn't even know that. that, (laughs) That's that's insane. And and it's not like he pitched a handful of times there, right? He pitched hundreds of games at Coors Field. Actually, I think it's like in the 70s or something. But he he won the vast majority of his games at Coors Field. And he would go out and give up two, three, or four runs in the first three or four innings. But he'd still be out there pitching in the sixth. And he would give his team a chance to win at a place where it's very difficult once you're giving up runs to limit it. So I think too often we get caught up in this. Why can't the Rockies get another ace? Why don't the Rockies have that guy with a 280 ERA and a 200 strikeout season? It's like, everybody wants that. I want it. You want it. Everybody wants it. It's great. It's awesome rooting for Garrett Cole or Justin Berlander or whoever, but what they need is five Jorge De La Rosas, five guys who can go out there and consistently pitch pretty well most of the time you don't need to dominate you need to be pretty because it's it's those seven games a year where you're awful that cost you right that's been Sensatella's problem that's been Marquez's problem that's been Freeland's problem that was John Gray's problem those games that get away from you what Jorge De La Rosa did better than any Rockies pitcher in history was not lose baseball games because sometimes your starting pitcher can lose the game all by himself and a lot of them do. Marquez has had a couple this year. De La Rosa almost never did that. So that's, I think, the secret sauce. That's the formula. Those are the guys you're trying to grow who you think can be the next De La Rosa. And we talked about it earlier, but that answer might just be in that in, in this international market of players. We where, you know, even Mexico, where De La Rosa's from, you know, it could be from there. Yeah. Find, find those diamonds in the rough, those guys who uh, approach the game a little bit differently. Those guys who were, you know, it never really worked out for him here, but one of my favorite players of the last era was uh, Rymal Tapia. You know that, Braden. You, you heard me go on my oh, Rymal yeah. Tapia rants and all of that. But it never fully worked out for him here just because he didn't have, it wasn't a positional fit, but like the pitching version of that, right? Here's a guy who a lot of people looked at and went, that's never going to work. He's never going to get to the big leagues. You can't have that approach. You can't do things that way. But Poppy is going to have himself a very nice major league career, despite all the people that said, no, you can't do it that way. And, and that was similar with De La Rosa, right? He had these weird kind of pause in his mechanics. He had a big loopy delivery, all kinds of weird things. He was a change up first pitcher in a lot of ways. But it worked. So, yeah, you, you got to go outside the box. hundred uh, percent agree. Well, great. As we as we wind it down, I guess let's, you know, we, we've learned all so much today about international players in Denver. Mm-hmm. And it seems Denver especially embraces their international players more than what I've seen in other markets as I've learned more about the games or the game itself. It seems Denver, when they have a good international superstar, as a as a fan base, we embrace them maybe more so than other fan bases I've seen. Yeah, it's it's always amazing to me. Like you said, I, I would put the number five Carlos Gonzalez jersey as probably the most popular one that I see, even over Walker and Helton jerseys. You know, there's just something there's something cool about wearing that. 
cargo jersey. There's some, there's something about it, and and there's also something about him kind of being for everybody. And I, and I think a lot of these players, uh, you know, because they tend to be a little bit more outgoing, connected more with the fans, and they feel like they're for everybody. And so, yeah, I think Denver as a community has always done a really good job of embracing these players and and embracing that that element of the community. And Cargo's classic, like Taco Bell commercial. You remember the hey hey, got your tacos right here. <laughs> that it was just like I remember that one. <laughs> he he was ours, and he so embraced the city. And same thing with Vinny, they so embraced the city, and the city so embraces them. Uh, and. And, and, you know, there is not a huge Hispanic population here in Denver, but there there is a strong, beautiful community mm-hmm. out here and that they feel completely welcomed and a part of the family at the ballpark is something I've always been very proud of, you know, because it's not that way everywhere, like you said, and it's not that way in other sports all the time. And so I think it's something that Denver should be proud of, and I think it's something that the Rockies should be proud of. Well, great. As we wind it down, Drew, where can people continue to keep up with you? Where can they find you and where can they learn more from you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, All my written stuff is over at milehighsports.com. I also got a three times a week podcast I do there. Uh, It's 20th and Blake at Mile High Sports. I'm sure you'll find it, whatever app you've got, uh, podcast stuff, you know, (laughs) Uh, doing that. Always talking Rockies, always having a good time. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Drew Creaseman. Uh, mostly on Twitter, though, I talk about like super nerdy stuff like the Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or the MCU and stuff. I yeah. I, I don't do as much sports on Twitter as I used to just because it can be a weird place to talk sports. So, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, Definitely. I've seen it. <laughs> it gets weird out there, but <laughs> no shortage of sports opinions from me on my podcast or, or in written content. And I'm always happy to you know, come on uh, the show and chat with you guys anytime because this was awesome. I love talking to real baseball fans. Well, great. Alan, you got anything great. else you want to add? Um, I don't know. Just just a lot of information to take in because obviously this is historic having someone like you, Drew, come to the show. And, and as always, you're always welcome to come on anytime and we'll be ready to go. We, we got to do the... Tovar podcast. We got to get real oh, deep. Once yeah, Ezekiel Tovar. Up. Yeah. <laughs> when good. he makes That'll his debut, have me back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. <laughs>